0: Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know, it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. Well, I I don't know if... You all of you will make this connection, but I feel a little bit like Smokey in the Bandit this morning. Got a long way to go in a short time to get there, so let's jump right in. Okay, Romans chapter twelve. Romans chapter twelve. We're picking up again back in our study of Paul's letter to the church at Rome. We pushed pause on that two months ago, coming into Christmas time. But I want to pick up where we left off, beginning in the tenth verse of the twelfth chapter, as we continue our study through this, which I believe is the greatest letter ever penned. Greatest letter ever penned. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. If you don't have a Bible, I want to encourage you to get one in your hands if you'd like. Behind each section of chairs are some tables with Bibles there. We'll throw up the references and page numbers uh, on the screen so that you can follow along. Let's begin with the 10th verse of the 12th chapter. Paul writes, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. My plan for today is six words. I want to try to get through just the first sentence in the 10th verse. I believe it's a really critical subject that we're focusing on here, and so I want to take the time. We're going to kind of go at a snail's pace this morning, but I want to take the time and unpack what I believe are some critical truths that are going to hit home, going to knock right on your door for most everyone in the room. Here's a question. How many of you have ever been at odds with anyone? Oh, come on, come on, come on, yeah. Any of you ever had anyone mistreat you? Ever had any resentment towards someone? Any bitterness or tendencies toward unforgiveness? If so, then the message today is for you. The message from Romans 12, verse 10, where God inspired the Apostle Paul to write these words, love one another with brotherly affection. First of all, I want to look at exactly what is being said. important to understand the verbiage here so that we know the truth that's being communicated, the command that's being given by God. So let's look at a couple of words. The first word and the last two words. The first word is love. And the Greek word, just several Greek words that are given for love in the New Testament, but the word here for love, it emphasizes natural affection. This is the love that you would have For your fellow kindred. It's a word that means to love dearly or deeply and with sincerity. So keep that idea in mind. And it's used in cooperation with another word for love that comes in the last two English words in the verse translated as brotherly affection. And the word used for brotherly affection is Philadelphia in the Greek, and it refers to the kind of love that we have for one another in the family unit, brother and sister kind of love, father and child, mother and children kind of love. And so what Paul does here, just to clearly picture what the command is, what the instruction is that Paul is saying that in the church, among the family of God, those who have been saved, that we are to love one another in a way that is like unto or rivals the kind of love that exists within a biological unit, a blood-related love that the love that Christians are to have for each other is to be that deep and that strong. So that's the what. What we're being called to here. And so let me just make a point about that. Emphasize what is included here so that you can feel the full weight or force of what we're instructed to do. The idea here is that Paul is not just telling us how we're to act toward one another, though that's included. But it goes beyond the action. He is also telling us how we are to feel about one another, because that's included in these words, love These two Greek words translated as love at the beginning of the verse and brotherly affection at the end. He's actually saying, God through His pen is actually saying, I am telling you not just what you are to do in relationship to how you act toward each other, but actually how you are to feel the very nature of your affections, the desires and the longings of your heart. So here's, I think, a valid question. Is it possible to make your feelings change? Can you, by the force of your will, direct your affections to a conclusion? I don't believe that you can. I can't. There are some things that I'm naturally uh, drawn to. There are people that I naturally connect with that are really easy to love, that are really easy to get along with, but guess what? There are people that I've come across in my life, transparent here, Pastor Brad, people that I've come across in my life that I have a really hard time liking. Amen? Amen. Amen. So here's another valid question then. If I can't make that change happen, if I can't force myself to love and feel a brotherly affection, a real deep, sincere affection for someone else, then is God fair in commanding me to do that? I need you to see That's set up to see the tension that's in this verse here. I mean, is it fair for God to say to me in His inspired Word, and to say to you in His inspired Word, I'm telling you not only what you're supposed to do to to others around you, but how you're supposed to feel. I'm commanding you that you love them deeply and sincerely. That you feel the right way about them. So, the first part of my answer to that question is this. God has told us to do a lot of things in His Word. I mean, a lot. Has He ever made the condition on doing those things up to us and our ability to get them done? And the answer to that is absolutely not. That is never the way God gives a command and says, Now in your own strength and your own power, go out and get it done. Neither is it the way that we are to love one another with brotherly affection, particularly those that we naturally do not like. Particularly those that have mistreated us. Particularly those that have hurt us and caused our resentment to flare up, or our anger, or has resulted in bitterness and unforgiveness in our heart. How can I change that? Well, I can't change that. There's no pill to take. There's no exercise to go through in my own strength that's going to make my feelings and my affections and my desires all of a sudden Become what God wants them to be. So keep that tension in view and what we're going to get to is the answer to the how. But before we get to the how, just quickly, why? Why has God instructed us to love one another with brotherly affection? To have a deep, sincere affection Toward those so deep that it is, as deep as the affections that naturally come in the biological blood unit. Why is it that God has said that? I'm going to give you a reason, just one reason here quickly. I'll state it and then explain it. Here's the reason. So that the truth of Christianity would be on display to the world. The reason God has instructed us to love each other with brotherly love is so that the witness of what is true about Christianity is on display of the world. And what truth am I talking about with Christianity? What is the truth that's to be on display? It's this truth. That when you were saved, if you're a believer, when you were saved, something radical, something transformational happened to you in the moment that you were saved. And here's what it was you became a son or a daughter of God. You became a son or a daughter of the God of heaven. And when you did that, when that happened and God made you a son or daughter, He brought you into His family, meaning you became a brother or a sister to every other child of God. It came with the package. It is a union. It's not this, it's not this theory. It's not a principle that's ambiguous. It's a real union. It's not something that you can see. It's not something that you can identify with the blood test, but it is something that is so real and so close that it actually goes deeper than and... Climbs higher than even the blo- biological blood connection that you have because it's going to be a, an eternal connection. It's being united to Jesus Christ as your brother, God as your father, brothers and sisters spiritually that will be yours forever. And what's supposed to happen in the world is that the world is supposed to look at the church and they're supposed to see the church and say, wow, there is something so unique, so different so united about the church that it presents a witness to the world even if they don't know the message of Christianity they're supposed to look and be able to say what do you guys have what's different about you John chapter 13 verses 34 and 35 listen to what Jesus said A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Did you hear that? Jesus said, here's the standout mark characteristic of the family of God that's going to provide a powerful testimony to the world. They're going to look at us and say, if we're doing this as we should, they're going to say, wow, there is something to this Christianity. There's something to the person of Jesus Christ that could accomplish what I'm seeing. It's the way it's supposed to work. That's why it's important. Why it's so important that among the family of God, we love each other with brotherly affection. So let's go to the third final section of the message and here comes the how. How. So the question is, those that I am not naturally connected to, those that are hard to love, maybe those that have mistreated me, maybe those that have had, it seems like to me, as their calling in life to cause me pain. I hate to say it, but that happens occasionally in the church. Those that seem to be bent with a vendetta, to either slander my character or break up relationships or just to overall cause friction and pain in my life. How am I supposed to love them with brotherly affection when I have a hard time even liking them a little bit? How am I supposed to do that? Well, let's talk about that. I think there's a very good answer to that question. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul wrote to the church at Philippi in this verse, and he said this, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, for His good pleasure. Notice the two things that says about what God is doing in the lives of His sons and His daughters. He works in us to do two things. Both to will, there's the desire. That's the longing. That's the feeling right there. And to work for His good pleasure. In other words, to desire what He wants us of us and to get it done, His will for us. It's God who works in us both to work within us the desires, the affections that He wants, and the carrying out of those affections, His will for us. It's God who works in us toward that end. So what we're commanded to do here is we are commanded not just to act right toward others, we're commanded to feel right toward others, but we are to understand that in doing that, we cannot do that on our own. It's God who works in us to get that done. And so here's the question, how does God do that? Or another way to say that, How do we access the means of grace that He's provided to actually change our affections so that we actually can learn to love the unlovely? That we can actually learn to sincerely and deeply care about even those who are bent with a seeming agenda to cause us problem and pain and heartache and strife and how can we do that I'm going to give you a few ways let me state the first way and then explain it it's going to seem fairly simplistic but God's ways are not complicated I didn't say they're easy but they're not complicated they're understandable first one is this Pray for the Spirit of God to make His love abound in you. Pray, one thing, and the Spirit, second thing. Pray that the Spirit of God would make this love abound in you. I can't state that. Don't check out until we get to point two here. Listen really carefully you have to understand that you absolutely cannot do it on your own and so you have to come in hopelessness or not ho- helplessness to god and say god i can't do this but i know that you're the god who works in me both to desire the right and then to do it so here i am and i'm saying Please do the work in me that will enable my affections and my desires to change and line up with what you want them to be. That's an act of dependence. When you surrender to God and say, I can't get it done. Here I am. I'm before you saying, I desperately need your help in prayer. Please let your spirit do that work within me. Philippians 1, 9 and 10. Let me just read these for you quickly. We're kind of getting short on time here. Philippians 1, 9 and 10. Paul writes, and it is this is writing to a group of believers. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Here's what Paul says. I'm praying that this would happen in you. And what is he praying? That their love would abound more and more. Here's what it takes. For your love to abound like God says it's to to abound, it's going to require prayer. It's going to require prayer. Secondly, 1 Thessalonians 3.12 And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Again, same thing. A prayer here that is being prayed for the Thessalonian church that the Lord would make their love abound. Here is what you're going to need. For your affections to change particularly toward those who are unlovely, that seem bent on causing you problems and pain, you're going to have to take that to the Lord in prayer and say, Oh, Holy Spirit, would you please, I'm helpless here, unless you do it, would you please do this change in me and give me your love that will conquer my desires or my lack of desire so that my desires become yours. Second way this happens. Number two, reflect on God's mercies toward you and them. I could give you several things to do, but I'm, I'm just giving you three different things. Here's the second one. Reflect on God's mercies toward you and toward them. First of all, toward you. Here's what you need to remember. Remember. Uh, Those of you that have been here, Romans chapter 12 verse 2 is really the setup for everything that follows in the rest of the chapter. It talks about our minds being renewed so that our lives are transformed. And the way our minds are renewed is we take the truth of God's Word and we put it in our mind through prayer and meditation. And what happens is then we begin to change in our lives because the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to change the people of God like the Son of God for the glory of God. That's the process. And so here is the truth that will help us to change. And one of those is to remember the mercies of God toward you. If you're a believer, remember who you were before you were saved. Who were you? You were an enemy of God, you were at odds, you were in rebellion. You were under God's wrath. You were under His just judgment. You were guilty and condemned before a holy God. And then, here's what God in His mercy did for you. It's the story of the first 11 chapters of Romans. He came to you while you were guilty and deserving of His wrath and He called you to life and He gave you His very own son's righteousness provided through his death on the cross and his resurrection so that as you put your faith in Jesus God looked at you and said you are as righteous as my perfect holy eternal son Jesus Christ and now I'm going to act towards you and relate towards you as if You were as perfectly righteous as my son. So instead of condemnation, I am going to give you righteousness and mercy and grace. Remember that. That's what I'm saying. Remember that. In other words, you didn't deserve anything that God gave you. When someone mistreats you, when someone causes pain in your life, you say, well, they don't deserve me to love them in return. Well, oh, you didn't deserve the love of God in any way, shape, or form. And the chasm. The infinite distance between the holiness of God and what you deserved is infinite compared to the little bit of difference between you and the one that's mistreating you. So here's the point. You need to remember what God has done for you so that when others mistreat you, you can learn to forgive them as God forgave you unconditionally so that you don't hold a grudge and you don't have bitterness grow up and resentment grow up. You remember that you are a recipient of the grace and mercy of God and then you turn around and extend that grace and mercy to other people even when they don't deserve it. That's the point of grace and mercy. It's undeserved. So you give it freely. So remember who you are. Here's another point under this header. Reflect upon who they, those that are mistreating you, those that are hard to love, those that are, seem to be bent on an agenda to cause you pain, remember who they will become when Christ returns. Now, I want to have some fun with this for a minute. There's a great quote I want to read you from C.S. Lewis, and then I want to give you an illustration. C.S. Lewis, a great Christian author of an earlier uh, decade or two, wrote some just profound things about the Christian life. One of the most quotable uh, Christian authors of history, but it's one of my favorite quotes of C.S. Lewis. He's talking here about the reality of, of who people are beyond the physical, particularly who believers are. He writes, It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to May one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. It is with awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. It's true, both Christians and non Christians. We're living forever. We're either living forever with God or forever separated from God. We are immortal spiritual beings housed in a physical body. That is the undeniable prolific truth of Scripture. So there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is to immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, exploit. And those who are believers, they are immortals who will dwell in everlasting splendor. So here's the point. Reflect upon who those that you are at odds with will be. The believers that you're at odds with who they will be in glory because here is what it says in the Scripture when Christ returns. When Christ returns, you see, we're in a process as Christians of sanctification right now, being changed uh, more and more day by day. Though God sees us as perfectly righteous, we still are in this physical world with a mortal body that continually needs to be changed more and more into the character of Jesus. But when Jesus returns, Scripture says when we see Him, when He returns, as He comes to take us home, we are going to be transformed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Transformed like what? To become like Him. He's going to give us some of His glory and What we're going to become, that's what C.S. Lewis is writing, if we could see it now, if I could see Jason right now as he's going to become here on this earth, I'd be tempted to worship him. It would be so far above what I am. So when you're struggling with someone that's mistreating you unjustly, Maybe you've done nothing but act in kindness uh, toward them and honoring them, but they seem bent on causing your life problems. Just remember who they're going to be one day, forever. And here's the illustration. I Just reflecting upon this, as I studied this this week, just reflecting upon this, I had a thought that I had never had before. I'm not saying this is like really profound, in fact intuitively, believers know this. What I'm going to share with you, intuitively, we know this. It's not going to be like uh, a truth that you couldn't grasp, but maybe you've never thought of it. It was so encouraging to me. When I... I, Here, let, let me do this first. I want you to picture. I want you to picture your nemesis. You know what I mean by that? I want you to picture the person that has just been the one that seems bent on your pain. You've treated them kindly. You've honored them. Maybe the actions toward you have been unjust. I just want you to picture, I want everybody to do that, whether you're a Christian or not. I want everybody to do that. Those of you that are Christians, This happens, unfortunately, this happens in the church, but I want you to picture that person that's just been at you. They seem like their calling in life has been to cause you pain. I want you to get them in your mind. Now what I want you to do is I want you to just kind of transport your mind to the final day. Jesus has returned. And you're in heaven. And you are there and you are in that place of glory and you're walking down the, a pathway in heaven. You're just enjoying the rapture of the moment. And you come around the bend and they're right face to face with you is your nemesis. Nobody else around. You can't like ignore them. They're right there, right in front of you, staring you in the face. Now here's what I want to say. Here was the new thought for me that did my heart so good. How is that person going to treat you? Here's how. They are going to be absolutely overjoyed to see you. They are gonna be so in love with you, so excited, so joyful about getting to connect with you, so genuine in their affection for you, so aggressive in their praise for you, I guarantee that's the truth. Because when Jesus returns and they see Him, they're going to become like Him. Isn't that a cool thought? They're going to be your number one fan. Your nemesis, your Christian nemesis here is going to be your number one fan in heaven. They're all going to be equal, but we can say justly they're going to be your number one fan because there's going to be no, not any shred of selfishness, not any shred of unlove. There's going to be this perfect love that they have for you and you have for them. So here is a great example of Christ here and how we should live this day for that day. Do you know how Jesus always related to people here? He related not to how they were but to how he was going to make them. He'd say to his followers, here's who you are and here's who you're going to be. And he treated them based upon who they were going to become by his power. Listen, those individuals in the church that you're struggling with, they're going to be changed. They're going to become like Christ. They're going to share a part of His glory. They're going to have a perfect love. They're going to love you for all of eternity. The frustration and the relational tension you're in right now is just the twinkling of an eye, and it's going to be cured for all of eternity, and they are going to lavish you with praises and they're going to long to be with you and they're going to enjoy sincerely and deeply your company and they're going to do nothing but lift you up instead of put you down and so what you need to do is reflect upon who they're going to be so that you can learn to have a sincere brotherly affection for them now even in spite of the friction that they're causing in the moment. Because it's only a fleeting moment. Compared to eternity, it's just a fleeting moment. A couple more things before I close. Final way that God changes our affections so that we line up to Scripture and even love those who are unlovely is we need to develop deep relationships with loving believers. Listen to Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Ephesians chapter 4, 15 and 16. Rather, Paul is writing to the church here about how they're to relate to each other. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him, Jesus Christ, Who is the head, from whom the whole body, the church, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Listen carefully. A couple of statements here. Here's a group of believers that are living in relational community together. They are connected to one another. They are working together. Did you hear that? Each part is doing its job. They are speaking the truth in love to one another, growing in love together. One more verse, Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. Here's what Christians are to do. Consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. So here's the third way that you learn to love and have affection. For others, even those that are unlovely, you get into the midst of a community that's connected relationally, and you work together, and you serve together, and you develop relationships together, and you speak the truth and love together, and you witness together, guess what that is? That's a life group. That's what was represented up here on the stage. And as you get into those relationships in connection and unity together, working together, speaking the truth and love together, what happens is that you build each other up in love. You stir up the love in one another. That's one of the means of grace that God has given you. So if you say, wow, I'm really having a hard time learning to love the people that are unlovely," let me ask you this, are you in a life group? Are you in a close, connected group of brothers and sisters who are speaking the truth in love, working in love, fellowshipping deeply with one another, on mission together? That's one of the ways that God is going to develop in you the affections that He wants for you. Now let me close with this. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're not a believer. You, I'm, and by the way, if that's you, I am so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you're here. There's no condemnation, no judgment of you whatsoever. I was you once. I just was. Until God got a hold of me, that's where I was. Every believer in here was there. So here's what has to happen. If your affections are going to change the way God wants them to change, there's something that has to happen for that to take place. You have to get saved. You have to come to the recognition that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God who came from heaven to earth for the purpose of going to the cross, taking your sin, paying its penalty, and rising again to defeat hell and death and offering to you eternal life if you will put your trust in Him. And when you do put your trust in Him, it's not just something that you say, it's not just Uh, A decision that takes place that is inconsequential. When you put your trust in Jesus, here's what the Bible says, you become a brand new creation by the work of God. And in fact, though you won't notice this or sense it, the reason you get to the point of even making that decision is because The Spirit of God draws you to that place. He helps you to see what you need to see. He helps you to have faith in Jesus by showing you who Jesus is so that you can put your trust in Him and become a brand new creation. That's the first thing that has to happen before the internal desires and affections can change. Once that happens, then you have the means of accessing the very grace of God day to day that'll change you from one degree to another more and more into the likeness of Jesus. But until that happens, there is no change because what you have is a heart of stone toward God. And what has to happen is you have to be given a brand new existence, a brand new life, a brand new heart, that God gives to you at salvation so that now you begin to love the things that He loves. You can't love the things that He loves until He makes you alive spiritually. And so the way that happens is you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10. Just one verse in closing. Romans chapter 10. Verses 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him, in Jesus, will not be put Shame. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the promise of God. You put your faith in the person of Jesus Christ. He as God's very Son. Come from heaven to earth to live a perfect life, to take your sin, to pay its penalty on the cross, to rise from the dead so that He could offer you His righteousness before God as you put your faith in Him. That's the first step. And then the Christian life is lived in a growing process of sanctification from that point forward where we learn to, do, through the power of the Spirit in prayer and with each other to have our affections changed so that they become like God's affections. Would you please stand? Let's pray, Father. Thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you have given us the means with which to follow the instruction in your word, that you haven't told us to do something that you will not help us get done by your power working in us both to long for what you long for and to see it accomplished in our lives. Thank you that you do that. Lord, I just pray your spirit would take the truth that was communicated here this morning and would do the work that you want to accomplish through it not because of me I don't have any power to get any of that done it's only your spirit that accomplishes it but I just trust that you will that you'd bring some to salvation today to faith in Christ that you would bring believers to a new commitment and a new step toward developing the affections of God in their heart for others so that Cornerstone Church could become known as a church that loves each other sincerely with brotherly affection and because of that becomes a light on the hill as a witness for Jesus Christ to our world. In his name I pray, amen.